This is the Apex United Methodist Church podcast. So this morning, uh, we are continuing our sermon series uh, on the book of Daniel. And our hope this summer has been that as we uh, journey together, uh, we would have a chance uh, collectively to really just dive deep into Scripture. Uh, we always uh, preach from Scripture here. It's not uh, something that we, we selectively do, but we also think that there's times uh, when it is important for us to, to dive into a book and to really become familiar uh, with the texts that help lead and inform our faith. And so this, this all summer long, starting in June, we began uh, the sermon series on the book of Daniel. I hope that whether you have been here or been away, that you have uh, continued to journey with us. It's a 12-chapter book. Uh, it's a chance, hopefully, to connect on, on social media or on uh, our app. There's the sermons are up every week. I got a chance to hit listen to Angelo uh, preach uh, from two weeks ago. And again, and I, mean, I joked with, with him earlier about it, but I did a great job continuing us through this, uh, this series. But our hope is to journey through this book in a way that, that helps us understand not only the history of it and the theology of it, but also the practical nature of what Daniel and his friends go through as they're living out their faith in exile uh, in Babylon. Um, we're going to open to Daniel chapter 6 this morning. So if you have your Bible with you, I might should open with me to Daniel 6. Uh, or if you have it on an app, feel free to pull it up there as well. I'm going to catch this up really quickly before we jump into Daniel 6 this morning. Uh, if you've not been journeying with us or don't know uh, sort of the context of Daniel, Daniel is a deeply historical book. Uh, it sets, sets, uh, takes place around 600 B.C., and so we're about 600 years uh, before Christ, before the Roman Empire is in rule in that area. And we're watching an area of the world that is called the ancient Near East. It is what we know roughly today as the Middle East. And just like it is today, an important region uh, for the power structures of the world, uh, it was a very important region then. And we watch across Daniel uh, transitions of power from the Assyrian Empire uh, to the Babylonian Empire, ultimately to Alexander the Great coming in from Egypt and sort of conquering that area and then quickly being pulled out of that area. And then eventually Rome uh, obviously comes in from, uh, from the west into that space to conquer that entire region. And Daniel takes place around this entire time frame. It's, it's t- taking place historically when Babylon is in power, uh, when Nebuchadnezzar is the king of the Babylonian empire. Uh, they've gone into Jerusalem, conquered uh, the Jewish people, pulled them out of Jerusalem back to Babylon, thousands of them along with Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as we, as we commonly know them, uh, into that area uh, to serve at the king's discretion. And the four, four, first four chapters of this book really deal with Nebuchadnezzar's rule. Two weeks ago, uh, Angelo did preach on that piece where Nebuchadnezzar, through his pride, uh, sees all the things that he has created. and goes up and basically claims credit for all of it. And in a very short time period, his pride, his sin, pulls him out of power. And then last week, we looked at a transition of power to Belshazzar, uh, who was the king, a grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, who ruled in that space, who throws this massive party. Uh, there's this great sort of scary image that, that sort of can fill all of our nightmares. If you've not heard it, it's this like disembodied hand that writes on the wall during a party, and everybody freaks out, and they call Daniel in to, to figure out what's going on. And then he ultimately, Belshazzar, ultimately dies very quickly thereafter. And then we move to this week. And you see Belshazzar transition out of power, and then a new king come in, King Darius. And Darius is setting up his kingdom, setting up his rule in this important part of the world. And as he sets it up, uh, Daniel 6 is where we pick up. So I'm going to invite you to open with me uh, to Daniel chapter 6 as Darius begins to set up this kingdom uh, in, in Babylon. Chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. 
It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps. Satraps is a, sort of a word for governor. It's like a local a governor of a province, a region. Stationed throughout the whole kingdom. And over them, three presidents, including Daniel. To these, the satraps gave account so the king might not suffer any loss. Soon, Daniel distinguished himself above all the other presidents and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to appoint him over the whole kingdom. So I'm going to stop right there for a moment. So Daniel's come in. Darius is coming to set up his kingdom. He's, he's seen his entire region. He's, he recognizes he can't govern it by himself. And so he gives 120 governors or satraps authority over that region so that he would not experience any loss. Now that would be not only people loss or authority loss, but financial loss. He wanted to make sure taxes were being collected, that they could invest in the kingdom. And as he was doing that, he put three people. Now Daniel has earned his right over time to be one of those people. Uh, Daniel is an outsider to this community. He is not Babylonian. He is not Median. He is not Persian. He's Jewish. And so he's an outsider that has earned the respect of the king enough to be put, in, to be put as one of those three presidents. And as he served over these governors, he earned his respect enough again with this new king to be put in charge of these, uh, this, this entire kingdom. He was the manager, basically, of this entire kingdom, of the three presidents and the 120 governors. And in that, of those inside the kingdom, as you can imagine, were not happy that an outsider was taking control. And so that's where we pick up again in verse 4. So the presidents and the satraps tried to find grounds for complaint against Daniel in connection with the kingdom. But they could, fi- they could find no grounds for complaint or any corruption because he was faithful. And no negligence or corruption could be found in him. And the men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So Daniel's earned the right. He has not been corrupt. He has been a leader. He has sort of earned the right. And they recognize they can't get him out of power, even if they want, unless they tie it to the place that Daniel has shown over time to be his place of highest integrity. And that is relationship to God. Verse 6. So the presidents and satraps conspired and came to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdoms, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an interdict that whoever prays to anyone, divine or human, for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into a den of lions. So all of his advisors, all of the people in authority, they come to Darius and they basically say, Darius, you are amazing. You are so incredible. No one else is as great as you are. And so we just believe, all of us, that everyone, if they're praying to anyone, should pray to you because you are better than any God. So that's what we believe. And so we think that that should happen. If they don't do it, I mean, this has nothing to do with anybody, especially no one named Daniel, right? If they don't do it, I think you should throw those dissenters who clearly don't believe you have any authority into a lion's den, right? So that's what they do. Verse 8, Now, O king, establish the interdict and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the interdict. Verse 10, Although Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he continued to go to his house, which had windows in its upper room, open toward Jerusalem, and to get down on his knees and three times a day to pray to his God and praise him, just as he had done previously. The conspirators came and found Daniel praying and seeking mercy before his God. And then they approached the king and said, Concerning the interdict, O king, Did you not sign an interdict that anyone who prays to anyone, divine or human, within 30 days except to you, O king, should be thrown into a den of lions? The king answered, 
the thing stands fast, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. And then they responded to the king, Daniel, one of the exiles from Judah, one of those foreigners, one of those outsiders who has no rights here, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the interdict you have signed, but he is saying his prayers three times a day. When the king heard the charge, he was very much distressed. He was determined to save Daniel. And until the sun went down, he made every effort to rescue him. Again, Darius wanted Daniel in charge. Darius trusted Daniel. Daniel had earned the right to be over all this kingdom. And so he was distressed that that Daniel, the one that he trusted, was going to be thrown into a a den den of lions. When the conspirators came to the king and said to him, no, no, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no interdict or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. So the king gave the command, and Daniel was brought and thrown into the den of lions. And the king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you faithfully serve, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet, and with the signet of his lords, so that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. And the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no food was brought to him, and sleep fled from him. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Many of us know the rest of that story. We know that Daniel was sealed in a lion's den, that God intervenes and seals the mouths of the lions so they do not take, overtake Daniel, and that the king rushes the next morning after a sleepless night, comes running to the, to the den, orders the rock to be pulled away, and says, Daniel, did your God save you? And Daniel comes out preserved by God. Now, that's the one we often tell, and and I'm not going to spend much time there this morning. What I want to do is actually back up. I think this first part of chapter 6, the part we don't often dig into, is one that's important for us as we consider uh, our own lives and our own response and what we can learn uh, from this book for ourselves. Uh, One, the primary piece this morning we're spending time on, is is, is, is why does it matter the people that we surround ourselves with? Why does it matter the people that are around us? Why does it matter the family that is around us, the friends that are around us, the mentors that are around us? Darius has a unique position. Darius is in a position of authority and power over this entire kingdom that is significant for the power of the Middle East, for the entire region in that area. And Darius brings into his service all of these people who are seeking, uh, in many ways, power and authority, not over the entirety of of the kingdom, but over their own little slice. And in those people, he finds people that are counseling him, that are advising him. Now, if, you're, if you take notes, I'm going to give you three things to hold on to this morning. And they're all about what it means and, and, and what it means for the right people to surround us. The first is this. Counsel or advisors are important for what it means to be a follower of Christ. Counselors or advisors are important for what it means to be a follower of Christ. Wise counsel matters. Throughout Scripture, we see this over and over again, that God raises up a wise counsel. In Proverbs chapter 12, he says, uh, the way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. In Proverbs 11 verse 14, he says, where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in abundance of counselors, there is safety. Proverbs 19, 20 through 21 says, listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Many are the plans in the minds of a man but it's the purpose of the Lord that will stand. I know that when we were growing up, you know, we, we heard all these little idioms, right? These, these ideas from culture that reinforce that same idea. You know, things like, you know, you are the company that you keep. Have you guys ever heard that? 
Or you show me your friends and I will show you your future. Have you heard that? Or the idea that if you want to identify someone's character, show me the friends that they are with. The people that we surround ourselves with are so important to who we are as people. We are, we are formed by them. Our decisions are shaped by them. You know, I have an eight-year-old and a 10-year-old. I'm recognizing that as I have a rising fourth grade little girl or rising third grade little girl and a rising fifth grade, yeah, I'm not ready for any of that yet. So let me, let me back up. She's only going to third grade. Okay. A rising third grade little girl, a rising fifth grade little boy, that, that they are already in a place where they are being challenged by the people around them that they consider their closest friends. And part of my task as parent, part of our task, my wife and I as parents, is to teach them what it means and how to navigate those relationships how to make sure that they know how to hear the voice of those they consider friend and still make choices that are consistent with the values of what it means to be members of our family, but more importantly, members of Christ's family. And I recognize that it's even younger now than it was when I was going through school. That They're making hard decisions about how to relate to other people, about how to, to take care of their own bodies, how to, to interact with this world. And their friends are making decisions younger and younger that they're being challenged with. Decisions that I'm not ready for as a parent. Now, I think as a parent, one thing I've learned along the way is we're never ready for any of those things. But it's so important who they surround themselves with. As a part of our job is to make sure they have people in their lives, friends in their lives who share values, who can speak into their lives and help them make good choices. That's part of why we are part of this church family. As, as many of you know my story, we joined this church long before I was a pastor here. Because my wife and I wanted to raise our kids in a church family that had something like you just saw, where there were almost 40 students in front of you that are giving a week of their lives away this summer to serve right here in our community. And we want to raise our kids in that. We know how important it is for our kids to have friendships and relationships that, that may, they can grow up with to help them make the right kinds of decisions. And that's true for us as adults too. The friends that we keep will shape our imagination, will shape, shape who we are. I'm going to move quickly through these next couple, but the second one is this. The first one is the friends, the counsel we keep matters. The second one is experience matters. Experience matters. And this is what I mean by that. If we jump back uh, throughout Scripture, particularly in 1 Kings uh, chapter 12, uh, there's this story of transition from King Solomon to King Rehoboam. Rehoboam is taking over the authority of Jerusalem. As he's he's moving in, he brings his closest advisors, as it says in Scripture, the old men around him, And he brings the old men around him and says, well, how would you help me lead this people? What should I do? And the old men around him say, this is what you should do. You should bring the people to you. You should tell them that you're going to lighten their load. You're going to be a servant to them. You're going to lead with a servant's heart. You're going to carry yourself humbly before them and help make their lives easier. That's your task as king. And so as a servant, you're going to lead them. He looked at these old men and was like, that's a foolish answer. And so he brings his young friends that he grew up with beside him and says, hey, what do you guys think I should do? And they basically said, you should bring everybody around you to this place. You should tell them that if you thought my dad was mean, just wait till I get into power. (laughs) That's what he said. And so that's what he did. And clearly Rehoboam did not rule very long. (laughs) That's not how it works. Uh, But that's often, that's that's the choice we make. One of the the most valuable things that I've found in my life, in my ministry is if I can bring older people that have been through this journey ahead of me into my life, I'm much better for it. I know that if I've experienced people who've gone through this path before, like I'm just, I'm a better husband, a better father, I'm a better, I'm a better pastor. Many of you have heard the story, but when my wife and I first started attending this church, one of the first things that we did, we were a young married couple, 
Now, I didn't know much uh, as a young husband, um, but I did know I didn't know anything. Like, that was clear, right? My, my, my parents told me that. My wife told me that. I mean, everybody just told me, like, like, you know nothing. That's what you need to know going in as a young husband. So I knew that. I was not, I was not too proud to, to not know that. So we went and found an older couple and said, we want you to, I want you to teach me, really. I mean, Aaron was humble, said, and me too. But I want you to teach us what it means to be married, what it means to be married and try to follow Christ. And they did. And we just had dinner once a month where we just hung out and they just, we asked them questions and we were like, how did you do this? And how did you navigate this? And this past week, we celebrated our 14th anniversary. Now, I'm not saying that many of us have gotten to 14 years. Many of us have gotten way beyond us and I'm still hopeful that I get way beyond that. The only thing I've learned in 14 years is I still know nothing, right? That's, that's clear. Uh, but I've also learned that I, the only way I can be successful as a father or as a husband or as a pastor, is to have older people in my life who have journeyed this path before me, who can invest in me. And one of the valuable lessons that research has showed us is that for our young people, the, 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 the most likely way that they're going to continue their faith after college is if they had five adults outside of their parents who were investing in their faith when they were in high school. Five adults. Part of why we are so intentional about bringing adults alongside our kids. That's why we brought not just our students, but these adults that are journeying with them Part of why we value that so much is because those adults that are journeying with them this week are changing the way they experience and understand faith. Part of the reason we're so intentional about how our kids, our young children, have volunteers in their lives is because we want adults in their lives who are modeling faith. You all have something to give, to offer of yourself, of experience in this life that help, help us live out what it means uh, to be Christ followers. So experience matters. The last thing is this, is that a council is often born in sin. Counsel is often born in sin. And this is what I mean by that. It's not to be, it's like the negative way to say it. What I really mean is the source of wisdom matters. The source of wisdom matters. For, for, Dar- for, for King Darius, the guys that were journeying with him had a different agenda. And their agenda was not the kingdom of God. Their agenda was not even for Darius' well-being. Their agenda was to, for themselves to move into power. Now, whether it was out of jealousy or out of greed or out of pride, They wanted Daniel set aside so they could be in power. The best wisdom we can receive is by people who are rooted in Scripture, who are rooted in God's Word, who are praying for us, who are reading Scripture alongside of us, and are seeking the kingdom of God uh, with us. About six weeks ago, uh, we had the the privilege to honor the life of one of our pastors, a guy named uh, Glenn Mason. Uh, Glenn modeled many things for me. Glenn was one of those guys who was experience for me. He was age and wisdom for me. He was one I looked up to to learn what it meant to pray, to what it meant uh, to live life as a pastor. One of the best gifts that Glenn gave me was the, the rhythm of his life where he sat and met with three other men every Friday for many, many, many years consistently so they could be in scripture together, be in prayer together, and to counsel one another. We all need that in our lives. We are designed to be in those types of relationships. We are designed to be in that type of community. Without that type of community, we will perish. We will not live fully into God's vision for our lives. So here's my challenge this morning. I would challenge you to ask yourself, who is the company you keep? Who are the friends that you're around? Who are the people you spend the most time with? Who are you surrounding yourself with? And, And as you surround yourself with those people, Are those people shaping you to be the people of God, the men and women of God that God desires you to be? Are they helping you be the best spouses, the best parents, the best children, the best friends, the best models of what it means to be Christ's followers?
And if not, how are you going to change that? How do you change to make sure that you have people around you that are praying for you, that are in Scripture with you, that are leading alongside of you to figure this thing out? Because this life is messy. It's hard. And we cannot do it. We're not designed to do it without people around us that are, that are shaping us and leading us to become the people God dreams uh, for us to be. I know when that's true for me, I am a better husband. I am a better father. I'm a better pastor. I need those people to shape me, to form me, to help me be the, the best version that God calls me, uh, calls me to be. I'm going to pray for us uh, this morning, and then I think we're going to lead, close with one, uh, one closing song. Let's, uh, let's pray. Almighty God, you lead us. Your Holy Spirit is present in this place and you gather us as your people and we gather as your church. It's not simply to gather in a place like this to sing a few songs and pray a few prayers. When you gather us as your people, you really are leading us to be family together, to be brothers and sisters together, to be community together, to, to sharpen one another. So that as we sharpen one another, we might know you and we might live a life worthy of the calling that you offer us. Lord, give us the courage to be that people. Praise in Christ's name. Amen.